Chapter Twenty One of East by West: A Journey in the Recess, Volume Two, by Henry W. Lucy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty One: Out of the Hurly Burly. It was close upon midnight when we reached Ajmere, the last halting stage on the return journey to Bombay. It was some consolation to know that the dork bungalow where we were to stay was just over the way from the station. These dork bungalows are an institution peculiar to a condition of things rapidly passing away in India. They are, in their way, identical with the refuges sprinkled over the bleak passes of the Alps. The structure is created by the government, who, at more frequented stations, place a Khan Saman, or caterer, who supplies food at charges subject to the supervision of the district committee in out-of-the-way places the dork bungalow is simply a shed as comfortless as any in alpine passes it had not hitherto come in our way to stop at a dork bungalow and hearing that there was an exceptionally good one at ajmere we decided to go there the room into which we were shown was plain but sufficiently comfortable for a traveller's rest the lofty walls were recently whitewashed there was a spacious bathroom and the bedroom was furnished with a few chairs a table and a small truckle bed in the corner there were neither sheets blankets nor quilts on the bed but the man who had disappeared after showing us into the room had doubtless gone in search of them after waiting a reasonable time i went to hurry him up and made the pleasing discovery that sheets blankets and counterpanes do not enter into the domestic economy of a dork bungalow we had omitted in packing up for our journey to put in a feather bed a blanket or two and a change of sheets and the prospect for the night was not attractive it was varied by the appearance on the scene of a boisterous briton a fellow lodger who hearing of our dilemma literally broke into the room dragging his bedclothes with him and insisting upon our accepting the loan i weakly protested but he stormed so declaring in typhonic manner that he could not lie in his bed and know that a lady was without sheets that there was no help for it the matter settled by his insistence he left his bedclothes and disappeared down the passage like a gale of wind blowing itself out to the southward ajmere is not one of the show-places of india lying out of the hurly-burly of trade and having nothing well advertised in the way of tombs and temples but it is in its quiet way a singularly interesting exemplar of native life moreover it has its hindu temple and its moslem mosque both of hoar antiquity the temple is known to the hindus as arai dinka jopra which being translated means the work of two days and a half the story is that the king one of the old rajas of rajputana projecting a journey to his residence on a hill overlooking the town gave orders for the building of a temple mentioning by the way that he would be back on the third day and that he expected to find the work complete he went off returned in sixty hours and the temple was ready for service this fact strange in itself becomes even more amazing reflected upon among the ruins of the temple and taking note of the enormous labour that must have been expended on its construction 
there remain now only the brick wall and the roof supported by red sandstone pillars these are exquisitely and elaborately carved some recent excavations accidentally conducted have brought to light a number of slabs of stone covered with inscriptions which as far as i could gather from inquiries on the spot no one has attempted to decipher in the main street stands the mosque in much better preservation and in daily use by the faithful who form a considerable proportion of the population of ajmere the mosque was founded in the early days of the mogul empire by Khaja sind the first missionary to the heathen hindu of ajmere we have visited many mosques in india without let or hindrance and were taken aback when on proposing to enter this building a mussulman with ferocious beard and imaginary scimitar in his hand waved us back the barber is one of the luxuries of european residence or travel in india he is innumerable and ubiquitous on arrival at a station after an all-night journey he is sure to be waiting and will enter the carriage and shave you without troubling you to move from your seat at the hotels he knocks timidly at the door as soon as he conceives time has been allowed for the consumption of chota hasri will patiently wait half an hour or an hour and thankfully takes his threepence conscious that it is eight times as much as he would get from a native whilst saib is not exigeant in the matter of nostrils and ears and would even be angry if he laid waste a square inch or so on the crown of his head it was curious as we strolled about to find the dogs barking at us one suddenly coming upon us would stand and gaze for a moment marvelling at the strange thing and then first observing the precaution of sidling out of the way begin to bark others coming out to see what was the matter and being equally disturbed in their mind took up the cry till matters began to grow exciting we came upon a shoemaker sitting full in the sun by the dusty roadside with the forlornest agglomeration of wrecked boots and shoes ever seen off a dust heap he was gazing upon the mouldy mass of soulless uppers and earthquake-rent souls a picture of despondency a possible customer coming along he brightened up and in a long and animated speech appeared to be demonstrating that though eccentric in appearance these were the kind of shoes which with judicious mending were warranted to carry a man on to fortune boot-making and boot-mending a poor trade generally throughout india is brisker in ajmere where the men are much more given to wearing boots than is the rule women here as elsewhere invariably go barefooted shoes used by a native must necessarily be a size too large since their career is a constant alternation of slipping off and shuffling on no native enters a room or shop with his shoes on driving out to the gardens we came upon a gang of road-makers the process of mending the ajmere roads is peculiar a strip about six feet wide is formed in the centre with a mixture of hard clay and gravel 
when it is level it is beaten down and makes an admirable road for light traffic the outer edges get whatever may be left a gang of ten men were beating the road with rammers they stood in double line five facing five one line retiring and the other advancing as they moved they chanted in quick time a refrain which phonetically rendered reads siddly hum siddly hum the rammers being brought down altogether at the hum women brought in baskets carried on their heads the road material which they flung down as it was wanted one woman doing her full share under the hot sun carried a lusty one-year-old boy on her hip this is a marked distinction between japan and india while in the former country babies are always carried on the back in india they are invariably borne astride the hip women work hard in ajmere by the dork bungalow i saw a file of a dozen chiefly young girls uplifted high on an unfinished house busily engaged in bricklaying the drawing and carrying of water is an important item in the day's work in most towns water is supplied in frequent wells approachable from the street level at ajmere the daily store of water is found in a dip between two walls of rock approached by steep flights of steps one rock rising sheer out of the water was almost literally hidden from view by a cloud of pigeons that clung to its rugged front it was a pretty sight the constant stream of straight lithe women in many-coloured kirtles coming and going with their red jars poised on their heads some had a small ring of plaited straw which they placed on their heads and on this stood the water-jar slim-necked full-bodied and rounding off at the base to a ring not larger than the palm of the hand far up at the top of the steps on the town side was a stalwart blind beggar who had miraculously caught sight of us and at short intervals broke forth into stentorian entreaty for bakshish the pigeons alarmed at the reverberation started off from the rock darkening the air in their flight i don't know what becomes of the pigeons evidently no one kills and eats them in the peepul tree under which a betel-nut man was getting shaved there were trays suspended from the boughs on which passers-by threw a few grains of rice or millet the tree was peopled with birds which when not overeating themselves hopped about as if the place belonged to them which indeed it does for no hindu would disturb them all the life of an indian bazaar dies out at sundown as it begins at sunrise there are no flaring gas-lights no crowd of promenaders as darkness falls over the narrow streets the goods are taken in from the ever-open shop the shopkeepers disappear the shops become dark empty caverns and only here and there the glare of a miniature furnace with a man's face suddenly lighted up as he applies the blowpipe shows the late worker in silver or brass End of chapter 21